Amen. Amen. What a wonderful song service, communion service, and opportunity to set our minds right on God and focus for what we're really about this morning and why we're here. Let me take just a moment and uh, welcome those of you in that are watching online or those that are going to be listening later on the podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us this morning. Thanks for uh, making us a part of your worship service this morning, and we're glad to have you on board with us as we proceed. I know it's no surprise that I'm starting this way, but let me start with what we all know is true. Happy birthday, 245th, to our great country. Today's the day we take a moment, today's the day we think about this country, we reflect on the nation we were born in, the nation that we call our own, the nation that we call home, and how blessed we are, how lucky we are, how wonderful it is that this is the home in which we live. We live in a land of relative freedom. We live in a land that has a great deal to be happy about. We have a wealth that many places in this world do not have any fathom idea of whatsoever. And we live in a land of safety. And for all these things and for so many others, we're so grateful. And so on a day when all too often it just becomes hot dogs and fireworks, we do want to stop and we want to be grateful for the things that we have and the blessings that God's given us. And one of those great blessings is the country in which we live. And I hope today that we'll take time to be thankful for that and we'll really give an opportunity for the Spirit to bring within us a sense of gratitude, a sense of awareness and openness to what it means to live in the country we do and the gratitude that we should have. It's uh, on the front of your bulletin, but uh, one of my favorite writers, which just, by the way, I'll just let you know, anytime I say one of my favorite writers, the chances are very good that I'm talking about Bishop. One of my favorite writers wrote this. And he wrote this reflection about uh, the 4th of July, and I liked it so much that we put it in the, in the front of the bulletin, and I'll start this morning with it. Let's pray that we as a nation can use our immense power to help the poor and the outcast in our community. Let's pray that we as a nation can choose paths of peace instead of paths of violence. Let's pray that we as a nation can choose to be a place of peace and acceptance to all people of the whole world. Let's pray that we as citizens of our nation can promote unity in our behavior. Let's pray that we as citizens of our nation choose paths of peace towards one another. Let's pray that we as citizens of our nation choose to be accepting and loving of all. Well, if we say we're going to pray about those things, it seems fitting that we would. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning with gratitudes in our hearts and joy as we consider the wonderful blessings that we've been given. And we have been given so many blessings, Lord. We are so, so blessed. We know that in this world right now there are so many who don't have the freedom, the luxury, the comfort of being able to worship you without any concern whatsoever for their safety. And we do, God, we're thankful. We recognize, Lord, that we live in a world in which very small amenities that we take for granted make us so wealthy in their eyes. The fact that we have running water, that we have entertainment, that we have air conditioning puts us in such a rarefied air. God, we're thankful. God, we're thankful for the stability that we enjoy. We're thankful for the security that's ours. We thank you for all the wonderful blessings that come to us. And many of those because we are blessed to be a part of this country. And for that, we give you thanks. But Lord, we ask that you also would put upon us a recognition of the responsibility that we have. To be good citizens to this nation. And God, as we open to your word today and as we learn how it is that we should be a nation, how we should be a a people within that nation, we pray, God, that most of all, you would open our eyes to the understanding that we are first and foremost part of your kingdom. And may that be the overriding, overarching, most important thing that we remember every day as we're grateful for the blessings that are ours. We pray all this in your son's name. 
Amen. Probably one of those really well-known sayings that everyone is familiar with, and quotations, and I may be having some trouble, friends. There we go. Either you saved me or it started working. Either way, thank you. Charles Dickens starts his book, A Tale of Two Cities, with these words, words that you know. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, an age of wisdom, the age of foolishness, an epic of belief, an epic of incredulity. It was a season of light, it was a season of darkness. In the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us and we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, we were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of the noisiest authorities insisted on being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Chances are good, you've heard that before. You probably hear more specifically the opening line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. But I would like this morning to suggest to you that this statement actually says something about the time and place in which we live. As we stand here on the precipice of the 245th birthday of our great nation, as we celebrate our independence and as we think about the blessings that come to us because of where we were born, I think you would agree to, with me that in many ways we do stand at this kind of a juncture, a best of times, worst of times kind of juncture. We stand with, a, I think, a clarity of understanding, a clarity of scope and focus that allows us to see that uh, we are at a little bit of a, an odd spot. Now, first of all, let me say that for all the reasons we just mentioned and many, many more that I could mention, I believe that we, uh, the United States of America is one of the greatest kingdoms of the world and one of the greatest kingdoms of the world that's ever been. There is no place I would rather be, no place I would rather have been born into, no place I would rather live than where I do. And we, like many great countries that have preceded us, powerful countries, safe countries, secure countries, like uh, Byzantium and Britain and Rome, we live a, a, an ease life a comfort life, a secure life, and what a blessing that is. We have freedom and we have wealth and so many of the things that we have to be thankful for. But in our context, in our world, in our day-to-day -day living, I think you'd agree with me that while it is the best of times, it's the worst of times. While things are really good, there are things around us that are much less than good. We, we do live in a great country, but sometimes living in this country leaves us wanting. We live in a great nation, but somehow we just know in our hearts it can be better. We live in a great place and we're happy for it, but somehow we're a little discontented and we just think, you know, that a better day is just ahead of us. We have so much, but we're not really happy. We enjoy so much and yet still don't find full fulfillment. And I think part of it is that we have some very unrealistic expectations. I think that as great as our nation is, sometimes we're guilty of putting more on it than it's capable of delivering. And I think today one of the things that I hope we can do is look at Scripture and have a better understanding of the realistic expectations we can have. So that this July 4th we can get everything out of the joy of being in this country. The celebration that comes from being American, the gratitude and thanksgiving that should be ours because of the place we're born. But also answer those deeper questions that continue to nag at us. And make us wonder, why if we have so much are we still not happy? Why if my country is so great do I still not feel fulfillment? Well, we're going to go where we always go to things, and that's to look for answers in the pages of Scripture. And so this morning, one of the things that I want us to do is I want us to look at what does it mean to have a good country, to be a good country, to live in a good country. Now, I will tell you from the outset, I think we live in a great country. I think we live in a good country. But I want to live in a country, and I do want to live in a country that is good. But here's the thing, I don't want to live in a country that's good simply by the standards that I think are good or that you think are good, or that we're good compared to other countries of the world. 
What I would like to do is find out what is the standard really of a good country? What should a country strive for? And that being the standard, God's standard, the biblical standard, we can begin to understand more and more how we can grow our country to be like that. Psalm 82, verses 2 through 4. How long will you exercise authority for evil? Show regard for faithless people? Rise authority for the poor and the orphan. Show faithfulness to the humble and the destitute. Enable the poor and the needy to survive. Rescue them from the hand of the faithless. You see, in this passage and in many passages like this, God is telling us that one of the standards he sets for a good country is this idea of how we should act towards the people who we live in concert with, in connection with, in community with. He adds to that this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 1. As God is in the business of establishing his people into a nation, these are some of the instructions that he gave. So I got your clan heads, leaders, people who were smart and knowledgeable, and made them head over you. Divisional officials, sectional officials, units of officials, groups of officials, overseers of your clan. I ordered the people in authority over you at that time. Listen between your brothers. Exercise authority faithfully between an individual and his brother and a resident. You will not recognize a person in making a decision. Listen to the small as you listen to the big. Be in dread of no one person, because decision-making belongs to God. The thing that's too tough for you, present to me, and I'll listen. Now, there's some in this that you may be a little confused by, so let's back up and look at what this is actually saying. He starts by saying, I got clans, I got your clan heads. I got rulers, I got authority. You see, what God is doing here is he's saying, I'm creating a structure by which my people can be led. God has been in the business from the very beginning of creating structures to support and provide for and protect his people. And so it is that the concept of government is not something we created or came up with. It's something that God has put in the human experience to take care of us. And notice what he says. Divisional officials, section officials, unit officials, group officials, overseers, different layers in the same way that we see in governments today, different layers of authority, all to which we have a responsibility all to which the responsibility they possess over us is answerable to God. You see, governments, nations will and should give an accounting to God for how they use the authority that he presents with them to rule over us. That's a biblical model for what a kingdom of this world looks like. So just using these two passages and, and many others that say the same thing, we can see this. A nation is doing what God would have a nation to do if they're demonstrating these qualities, first of all, that they're indiscriminate to all and care for all equally. They're saying that everyone deserves to be cared for and, and taken care of in equal ways. Second, they have a specific care for those who are less fortunate. While everybody is treated equally, there's an understanding that some people have greater needs and those needs need to be met. And nations, governments, authorities are responsible to look for those. And third, defending those who are oppressed. You know, the reality is that in a fallen world, we're always going to have people who are not treated the way they should be treated. And God says, one of my answers for that is that I want to create nations that look out for those people, watch out for those people, and protect those that other people tromp on. You see, these are the things that God says, among others, that makes for a good nation. Can I say that I believe we have a good heart in this direction? I believe as a country we desire and want these things. And I'm excited for that. I'm glad for that. And it makes me grateful to be in a country 
that is desirous of seeing improvement in these areas. But I realize something that you realize, that nations are made up of people, that we, the people, as we famously say here in this country, have a place in the authority that's over us. And so because of that, it's important in every context, but especially in our unique context, to ask the next question. What exactly is a biblical model for being a citizen? I know that nation is here to serve me as a citizen, but I as a citizen am also here to serve it. And so what does God say to me in his word about the way I should be a good citizen in the kingdom of this world? Paul very famously writes to the church in Rome. And if you're going to talk about government in that day and age, Rome was the place. So when Paul writes to the church at Rome, it shouldn't surprise us that one of the things he talks about is what we should expect from ourselves as citizens of a nation. Every person must be subject to the ruling authorities. There is no authority, you see, except from God. And those that exist have been put in place by God. As a result, anyone who rebels against authority is resisting what God has set up, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for people who do good but only for people who do evil. If you want to have no fear of the ruling power, do what's good, and it will praise you. It is God's servant, you see. It is for your good. But if you do evil, be afraid. The sword it carries is no empty gesture. It is God's servant, an agent of justice to bring his anger on evildoers. That's why it's necessary to submit, not only to avoid punishment, but because of conscience. <laughs> this line, that too is why you pay taxes. The officials in question are God's ministers, attending to this very thing. So pay each one of them what is owed. Tribute to those who collect it. Revenue to those who collect it. Respect to those who should be respected. Honor to people who one ought to honor. You know, we got some pretty plain expectations there, don't we? Uh, Paul really makes it pretty simple for us. Pretty straightforward and easy to understand. He says, here it is. Here it is, church at Rome. Here it is, church at Marysville. Here's what it means to be a citizen of a, a good citizen of a good country. Here's what it looks like. Be subject to the government. Recognize that God put authority over us and we're to follow that authority. And that doesn't always mean it's going to be easy and it doesn't always mean it's going to be popular. But there is a necessity for us to recognize the power that God has given authorities over us. Secondly, and this one will never be popular, we've got to pay our taxes. We've got to pay our taxes. I won't mention the fact that I'm already <clears throat> behind on getting mine done for the past year, not to mention starting on next year. Paying our taxes, this is something that everybody is responsible to do. We'll talk more about what that means in a second. Third, to give respect to those who are in authority. Being subject to government is one thing. Nameless, faceless organizations. But to be respectful of officials is something that I think a lot of us find even more challenging. So when you put these ideas together, what you've got is this picture that God has given us some standards of what a good nation looks like, what a good nation strives for, what a good country is going to be like. God's given us some standards of what a good citizen in that country is going to be like and do and want. And so we have a question then before us of evaluating our country and our citizenship, looking at our nation and looking at us as members of that nation. And I think that sometimes that's where we can find that Dickinson's uh, kind of contrast of the best of times and the worst of times. One of the reasons that I think we can experience life that way, and what I mean by that way is this, life's good, but we're not content. Life's good, but we're not fulfilled. Uh, you know, it's, we're, we're 
We're convinced that a better America is just one election away, that, that a better America is one law away, one legislative uh, adjunct away, one, one uh, judicial seat away. We're, we're almost there. There's always this constant striving that we're almost there and it's going to get there. And so what we find ourselves in is this best of times, worst of times. I'm glad I'm here, but you know it's so broken. And the reason we feel this way a lot of times, and listen, because I think we're trying to make this kingdom something it's not. I think we're trying to make into this kingdom something it was never designed to be. And I think as long as we continue to try to make this kingdom something this kingdom was never designed to be, we're going to find ourselves in this kind of a situation. It's, it's going to be a fruitless proposition to make it something it's not. Consider what we read. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, Now comes the judgment of this world. Now this world's ruler is going to be thrown out. Numerous times through scripture we have this idea of this world's ruler, the ruler of the day, the ruler of the prince of the power of the air. We constantly are talking about the fact that we live in a fallen world and this fallen world is unfortunately, unfortunately ruled by the enemy. 1 John chapter 5 and 19, the same author, John, in his epistle says, We know that we are from God and the whole world is under the power of the evil one. You see, the problem is that when we try to make a kingdom of earth, a perfect institution, and strive to find perfection in it, we're doing something it can't possibly accomplish for us. Because here in the fallen world, under the power of the prince of the air, under the power of the evil one, we're not going to find perfection. We're not going to find completion. We're not going to find fulfillment in a kingdom of this world. This nation, as good as it is, and it is wonderful, cannot and will not perfect us and fulfill us completely. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive with every ounce of our being to fix the brokenness that's in our society. We should. In fact, as Christians, we're called to do that more so than anybody else. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray diligently for our leaders. In fact, Paul says that expressly, that we should always pray for our leaders, that we should pray for better tomorrow, that we should pray for expected growth in our nation and improvement. But it's also to say that we should not forget our kingdom, no matter how close it does come, can never be something we need it to be. And I think one of our challenges is to differentiate our needs from kingdoms. We have a kingdom that we are a part of here on this earth, a kingdom of this earth that is a wonderful kingdom, but at the end of the day, this earth is in the realm of one who is against, well, the enemy. And so we are a part of a kingdom that is subservient to God, the ruler of the universe. And inevitably, that's going to cause us dissatisfaction with our nation. Once we have a touch of a goodness that can be, it's impossible for us to not feel discontent at everything that's not. I'll put it in simple terms. If you've ever driven a Lamborghini, it's going to make it really hard to jump back in your minivan. And that's how it is as members of the family of God. Once we have a taste of what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God and all that it brings and the fulfillment that's there, we take those same feelings and expectations and desires and we expect that our, our nation's going to bring that out, and it can't. It was never designed to. You can't jump out of a Lamborghini, jump into your van, and expect that your van's going to be able to do what that Lamborghini did and feel the same way. See, as members of the kingdom of God, we've got to understand our real purpose and the way that we work as a member of this kingdom that God puts us here to serve and to bless and to improve and to grow and to celebrate and to enjoy. On kingdoms, he says this, 
indiscriminate equal care for all, specific compassionate care for the less fortunate, intentional defense of those who are oppressed. Now let's look more closely at these for just a moment. First of all, indiscriminate care to all. This means that the nation who is seeking to serve God is not going to to pay extra attention, extra care for any group, any person, any individual over any other. We all accept that in common parlance, and yet in reality we know we all struggle with that. But a good nation is going to strive to not place anyone over anyone else. Second of all, the care of those less fortunate. Now, what that's saying is that wealth, wealth, wealth management, wealth accumulation isn't the most important thing that we can be striving after. And again, in common parlance, we recognize that, and yet we know that in this world and in the structures of this world that that is so deeply ingrained within us that it's something that pushes against everything that holds to be true as we as children of God, the heavenly kingdom, strive to live a different life. It, it, Paul, um, Timothy, Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that, uh, that money is the root of all sorts of evil. Doesn't mean that money's evil. Thank goodness, because we live in one of the wealthiest countries to ever be in existence. But the love of it, the root of it, is found in this desire for more and more of it. And what instead we as members of the kingdom of God are called to be are those who bring to the kingdoms of earth a focus on those less fortunate with generosity and kindness. Third, defend intentionally those who are oppressed. The sad reality, as we mentioned a moment ago, is that people are going to be trodden upon here. There are always going to be people who are stepped on. There are always going to be people who are beaten down. And we as members of the kingdom of God are to bring to our earthly kingdoms a desire to see those people stood up for and defended. Whether that injustice is a matter of race or socioeconomic level or class or or education or gender or whatever way that we see that injustice taking place. God puts us in our nations of this earth to reflect the the kingdom virtues here. And that means being active in our governments to work towards that. Quickly, let's talk about what it says specifically on citizens. When it talks about the people being subject to the government, they're saying that you respect the authority of the government. It doesn't mean that we pour our blind allegiance and agape love and devotion into a government, an institution. Instead, what God says unilaterally is that love, that devotion, that affinity is his and his alone. Being subject to a nation is not finding our own identity, our own self-worth, our own fulfillment in a nation. Because it can't give us what it doesn't have. But what it does have, it gives us to the fullest. Secondly, (laughs) they pay their taxes. And that, that goes a little further than just simply what you do every year in April. It's an understanding of the responsibility that you and I have as participants in a nation. Now, giving them our taxes is important. Mark chapter 12, Jesus famously teaches, Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity. You don't regard anybody as special. In other words, you don't show favoritism. You don't bother about outward show that people put up. You teach God's ways truly. Listen, well then, they're asking him a question. Here's the question. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But he knew the game they were playing. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a coin, let me look at it. They brought him one. This image, whose is it? Whose subscription? Caesar's, they said. Well then, give Caesar back what belongs to Caesar and give God back what belongs to God. And they were astonished. You see, that's the teaching in some. 
we do deserve. Our nation deserves from us exactly what is deserving for it to receive. But Jesus doesn't ask us to give more than it is deserving or able to take from us. Lastly, respect the individuals who are in authority. And this is one that I think many of us, if we'll be totally honest with ourselves, struggle with the most. To respect the individuals who are in positions of authority over us. It doesn't mean agree with them. It doesn't mean like them. It doesn't mean never ever say anything in disagreement of or against the thoughts of or, or, or beliefs of or, or, or direction of. But respect. Respect comes in the form of treating people with a dignity and an honesty to their character or to the character they deserve to be shown. Whether or not they're deserving of it is not our place to determine. So when you put all these things together and you look at all these, you can see why this would be the best of times and the worst of times. You can see why we can simultaneously be enormously enamored with our country, and we are, and be terribly frustrated with it. You can see why we can be proud to be Americans, and we are, and we can be frustrated by the people who are running America regardless of who you think those people are, or where your position is on that particular issue. The point is, we have to look at a kingdom and a citizenship above to find those things which this kingdom and all kingdoms try to provide for us. Our identity, our self-worth. The, the reason that we get up in the morning and the purpose to our life cannot be found on a kingdom of this earth. You see, though, the good news is we have a kingdom that can fulfill all of those things. It's a kingdom that's untouched by Satan. It's a kingdom that is not a kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of God himself. It's a kingdom that's led by a leader who's always going to choose what's right. We can't say that about our nation. It's a kingdom that always pursues peace. We don't know that's true about our nation. It's a, it's a kingdom that will always, always fill and never take away. It's a kingdom that will never let us down, a kingdom that's perfect, a kingdom that doesn't have political agendas and wealth accumulation and all those things that kingdoms of this earth fight over. When we free America from being what it's not supposed to be, we can truly enjoy it for all the wonderfulness that it is. I think Abraham Lincoln, who I absolutely adore, was slightly misguided when he described America as the last great hope for the world. You see, I think the kingdom of God is the only great hope for the world. In the same way, Reagan, who I was almost named after and love, which would have been something because I was already born at that time and my mom and dad actually considered taking me back and changing my name. Reagan famously said that we are a city shining, a shining city on a hill. And while I think we as a nation ought to strive to the accolades of that, we need, not rec we need not forget we will never be that, nor were we ever designed to be that. We need to be what we can be, a really good nation that is really seeking to serve God. But never letting that cloud out the view that we are first and foremost members of a heavenly kingdom. I have a van that I'm very proud of and I love very much which, as I stand before you today, 50 years of age, I'm embarrassed to have those words come out of my mouth. I am a middle-aged man with a minivan, and that is something that I wash regularly and take care of. My van does a really good job of what it's supposed to do. 
It's very serviceable. It works great on a road trip. It works great filled with little boys and soccer gear. I enjoy it, I take care of it, and it takes care of me. I have a responsibility to it. And I have an expectation of it. I know what I expect it to give me, and I know what I need to do for it. But if I were to ask my van to fly me to Florida, I'd be asking of it something it simply cannot give me. If I were to ask my van to sail me across the sea to England, I would be asking of my van something it just simply cannot give me. You see, when I allow my van to be everything that it can be, I can enjoy it for all that it is. But as long as I'm cons consistently trying to make it something it's not, I'll never be fully as joyful in it as I can be. And you see, I think that illustration works. When we know that we are, first and foremost, members of the kingdom of God, and that there we find identity and self-worth and security and fulfillment, then it allows us to embrace this wonderful country for all that it offers and to enjoy it thoroughly and fully. I, like you, love passionately this country. I, like you, deeply desire its growth and improvement and moral development. I, like you, thank God that I live here, not just today. I, like you, find so much joy and pride in the birth of the, the nation of my birth. And for all that this country brings to me, I have to admit to you that it doesn't hold a candle to my true kingdom and what it brings to me. Because I, like you as Christ's followers, a part of a kingdom that's not limited by geographic location or time-bound by centuries or determined by borders or ruled by flawed, if enormously well-intended men and women. I, like you, as Christ followers, are part of a kingdom that's not subject to the rise and fall of fortune and power, a nation that's at the mercy of economic whim or global stimulus. You see, I, like you, as Christ followers, are part of a kingdom that asks of its citizens full complete, wholehearted allegiance above anything else to the kingdom of God. But in return, it offers a peace, a fulfillment, a satisfaction, a joy, a contentment that nothing on this earth can match. And I, like you, as Christ followers, a part of a, a kingdom that answers questions that this world, its governments, its nations, no matter how great or powerful, can never begin to truly answer. The real end to injustice, the real provision of security, the real offer of true order. Our kingdoms of this world work hard to provide these, but our kingdom of God is the only answer to these questions. I, like you, as Christ's followers, are part of a kingdom that offers forgiveness through a sacrifice that was made on our behalf an opportunity to heal from sins, both my own and those of others, and given a way that we can live forever in peace. That kingdom doesn't require you to be born in a certain place and a certain time, but that kingdom requires you to be born again. To be born again. It invites you to enter into this kingdom by being born again by water and the Spirit, a, a death, burial, and resurrection to an old life and to a new life. In the same way that Christ died and was buried and was raised again, the waters of baptism provide for us this imagery of a new birth, 
a new birth that provides a new being and a new citizenship and entry into a new kingdom, a kingdom of God. You know, this morning, I, I know as I look around all of you, I celebrate that you and I are part of the same country. I celebrate the great country that we're a part of and its enormous heritage. And I celebrate that I share this joy with you because you're a part of my nation. But this morning, I want to ask you a very serious question. You're a member of this kingdom of earth. Are you a member of the kingdom of God? You know, nothing would make this day more special. <laughs> nothing would make this more a true independence day than for this to be the day of your independence from a fallen state, from a lost state, from a sinful world, being baptized into Christ and made a citizen of the kingdom of God. You know, this morning we exist for that very reason. So that every person who comes in contact with us would have an opportunity to say yes to King Jesus. And so, if that's a need you have this morning, if in any way, shape, or form we can help you say your next yes to King Jesus, we want you to know that we're here to do just that. We stand in the back of this room at the end of this service for any hope of being able to help you in any way that we can. Let's sing together as we close this morning.